it's really six hours of sleep or less. So be aware of that. But what they're finding is that there's a direct link between sleep deprivation and Alzheimer's disease. There's direct links between sleep deprivation and and heart disease. There are direct links between sleep deprivation and diabetes. And they did the research not just on um, on people where they can they they looked at people who got progressively short sleep. They also looked at night shift workers because night shift workers are notoriously short sleepers because we threw their whole circadian rhythm off, right? We're now having them sleep during the day, be awake at night. And so they saw a 76% increase in the amount of cancers they saw in those. So we're talking about the, like, our body cannot do what it needs to do to keep us healthy if we don't get enough sleep. Amy has over 30 years in the world of sleep um, as a clinical respiratory therapist, as well as a uh, certified clinical sleep educator, and along with that, a health wellness coach. And this is really important because she talks about what sleep is, why it's so important, and then also ways of navigating stressful days to still get really good sleep. So given that we sleep roughly a third of our life, or at least we should, this podcast is one of my favorites because you're going to walk away with so much information from Amy. So without further ado, let's get into sleep. Amy, Thank you so, so much. I know that we've had the pleasure of being able to speak, and I, I want to start this off based off your expertise, decades of the industry. What are, uh, What is your background at, for, for all of our listeners, and um, you know, what are you best known for? So I, I started in respiratory therapy, which is part of this whole um, field of sleep and working in the hospital, I had the, I'm one of those people where like they need somebody to work this or they need somebody to work that. And I would put my hand up and they need somebody to work the sleep lab. And I was like, okay, I'll learn. Uh, Two days after I started in the sleep lab, the person who was going to train me quit. (laughs) So I basically taught myself sleep from a, a photocopy of a textbook. Wow. But I became so intrigued with it that I just went forward and like would read everything and would talk to the doctors and the doctors were like, oh, and so they would start mentoring me and I and I moved within the field to run a sleep lab. I wrote curriculum and taught um, at a college twice. So I've I've really tried to expand what I knew, but I saw this little emptiness. Like if somebody has sleep apnea, we go ahead and train them on using CPAP and giving them some support. But what we didn't, I didn't see was like, okay, you got the CPAP home. Now, how do you get used to it? And how do you change the habits that you created for the CPAP? And then I saw that for the, um, 
for the other patients who didn't have CPAP, they throw a pill at them and send them home. And people still weren't getting the solutions they wanted. So I started writing a blog. I think it start, I started about 12, 13 years ago. And started informing like regular people, not just my patients, but like regular people. And from that grew, the doctors started to call me. They said, we have this patient that needs this or has having problems with this. How can we help them with that? And um, so I became that that person. And, and then I took it to people, right? I, st- I had a company approach me. They said, we wanted to add sleep coaching. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. <laughs> And while I've been doing this, I also went and I got my certification from ICF. I got my certification for for National Health and Wellness Coach because I think that's important that you learn a skill. Mm, Interesting. So, and I love this because that's exactly what formed this podcast is, you know, unconventional approaches for unconventional results for the everyday man or woman. And mm-hmm. so what I love about this too, I'm actually getting goosebumps, is so you didn't find this as your passion very at the very beginning. This is something that s- sort of presented itself and instantly it, it seems like you found your, your calling in this. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. I, I just fell in love with it. It was like the perfect thing for me mm-hmm. because I want to help people. And respiratory therapy was became less of that and sleep became that we could do is help people. So, and sleep is a part, like we do, we're supposed to, right? We're supposed to do this a third of our lifetime. Uh, some people cut that short and I think we'll, we'll get into the effects of that. I guess at a high level, I'm going to say, just, just throw it out there. What is sleep? So, well, sleep is, is a little more complicated than just this is sleep. So we have three stages of sleep and then one stage of active sleep, right? And as babies, we de- start developing this rhythm in our sleep at about six months old is when we start to develop. And it changes over our lifetime. But what sleep is, is it's a time for the body to to rest and to heal itself. So the first third of the night is what's called slow wave sleep or deep sleep. That's where the brain does its maintenance work. That's where we produce our growth hormone. That's where we heal our body. That's where we do all the things that take that short-term memory, put into long-term memory. It's all those things that are really important for us to be able to wake up and feel refreshed for athletes to recover. That's why there's so many athletes now have sleep coaches because you only do that the first third of the night. And if you go to bed at a regular time, let's say 11 o'clock is your bedtime. And then you go to bed at one o'clock in the morning, instead of having your third of the night, what, what you would normally, you'd probably end up with a very small amount of deep sleep. So that's very important. Then you have regular sleep, which our body is just resting because we need that rest. 
And then we have active sleep or REM sleep. This is the part of the body where the brain is most active. And when we look at it in a sleep study, the brain waves are very similar to awake. There are some differences, but it's where our brain takes basically what we experienced and processes it. So it's an active form of sleeping. Our brain is more active. Our body is less active because we produce hormones to keep us from acting out our dreams. It would be bad if we acted out our dreams. We'd walk into walls and hit our partners, and that would not be good. Very good. And question on REM sleep. Um, again, the, I know the brain waves being very normal to to an act, you know, to an active state uh, makes a lot of sense. But what is it about REM sleep that is restorative? Like if it's if it's very similar to our awake state, why is it so important in sleep? Well, think of it this way that you have all these, um, your, one, your brain does some maintenance work during that time. And that's very important, right? It, it clears out waste products and does some other stuff. That's very important. But think of it like all the input you had during the day, the visual input, the auditory input has to be processed and, and stored. And so that's what REM sleep is doing for you is kind of processing it and storing it. Got it. Makes sense. And given that REM, correct me if I'm wrong, comes, it's the third stage. It comes at the end. If someone No, it does their... not come at the end. Okay, we actually it... go through the REM multiple times through the night. So what happens is we cycle in our sleep and everybody's sleep cycle is a little bit different, but it's between 90 and 120 minutes. We arouse, we change positions, we go into REM, we arouse, we change positions, and we come out of REM. First REM's really short. It's between 5 and 15 minutes. It's a little bit more choppy. The second REM's a little bit longer. It's 15 to 20 minutes. The third, and the and if we have a fourth REM, not everybody has one, but the third and the fourth REM are longer. They're like between 30 and 45 minutes. So we cycle during the night that, and they get longer, but medications a lot of times will affect it. Interesting. Very interesting. And you, you mentioned a third and if people have a fourth, um, is that dependent on just time? Cause not everybody can sleep. Like if, if you slept long enough, would you theoretically keep having more cycles that are longer or is it, is it limited to that three or four, no matter how long you sleep? Um, it's it's probably some of its time and some of it is our physiology, right? So it's a lot of it is um, like, how much sleep do you need? Do I need nine hours? Do, so adults need between seven and an hour, nine hours of sleep. And finding your sweet spot is more important. Your body will do what it needs to do. So, like, I know that my sweet spot is like seven and a half hours, right? If I get seven and a half hours sleep, I'm like golden. Then I wake up, I'm full of energy, I feel great. There are some people that it's eight hours. There's some, I have a, a handful of people, it's nine hours. But the problem is, is we never get enough sleep that we can find out what our sleep sweet spot is because we're all trying to consolidate our sleep to the lowest possible number. 
and I am so guilty of that. And so as I'm, as I'm, as you're talking about this too, sleep law, how important is it to keep a sleep journal, a sleep law to, to really track that? What is the quote? Um, If it's not, uh, if it's not tracked, it can't be measured or because it can't be, it can't be measured. It has to be measured. I know I make, I make both say cringe. (laughs) So, so here's my thoughts. And it's, you don't need to track it. You don't need to wear a wearable. You don't need to track it. You need to kind of, we need to be more gentle with ourselves. It's not about the numbers. It's about how I feel, right? How I function. We're not supposed to walk around tired all the time. We're not supposed to walk around or come home from work, sitting on the couch 20 minutes later and fall asleep. That's not how we're designed. And so it's much more important to get in touch with you and your physical body than it is for you to, to track a number. Mm. It's such a good point. And I, and I understand that because I, I'm somebody and Nick, I, I think I probably speak for you as well, where it's, it's like measuring everything to trying to just like pack in, condense, get everything right. And that includes sleep. So maybe a good, and Nick, I'm, I'm sure you'll probably, you may have still some, a couple, a couple more questions on actual sleep, but I'm really curious, what's the pregame like? What can we do to elicit and, and put ourselves in a position to where we can get that quality of sleep, assuming that we're already planning out for that seven to nine hours of sleep? Well, the first thing you need to do is choose what time you're going to go to bed. And we always choose our time to go to bed by what time we wake up. So let's say I want to get up at eight o'clock in the morning and I want to get eight hours sleep. I want to go backwards eight and a half hours. And that would be the time I would turn off my lights because it takes us between 20, 15, 20 minutes for us to transition from wake to sleep. And so you have to plan that into your time, right? So people say, oh, I want to get up at eight, so I'll go to bed at midnight. I'm like, yeah, but that's going to get you seven and a half. So the first thing, the most important thing is choose what your bedtime is, and then you want to kind of be consistent. That does not mean you don't go out with your friends. That means that you want to be an 80-20 person. You don't want to get that diet mentality, right? Where if I if I mess up one day, then it's over with. No, you want to be able to go out with your friends. You come home at three o'clock. Okay, I know I can. I'm, I have it's Saturday. I can sleep in, but you don't want to sleep in too long. You only want to sleep in an hour, because otherwise you're going to throw off your whole circadian rhythm. And then if you need to take a nap, right? So. Having a good bedtime is always important. Then 30 minutes prior to bed, it's all about no, no, no screens. It's a no screen time zone, right? Because the lights from this, the, the cell phone, the cameras, that's going to affect your sleep. And a lot of people's like, well, I wear blue blocker glasses. 
I'm like, this light, it's about the intensity of the light. It's going to disrupt your ability to make melatonin. So no screens for 30 minutes. And we can all do that because we've got to brush our teeth and wash our face. But you also have to let go of what happened during the day. Right? Because otherwise that little hamster, you know, you turn off the lights. And this is especially true for women. We turn off the lights, we lie down, it's quiet, and that hamster gets on his wheel and he starts saying, well, we should have done this and we could do this and we've got to get this done tomorrow. And then it's really hard to go to sleep. So doing like a relaxation exercise or a little bit of journaling will help somebody fall asleep just so, because it'll help get rid of all that anxiety and that, that stress from the day. So you want that to be that relaxing zone. And it's such a good point. There's a, there's a couple things that, that, that really stick out there, but the, you know, the, the one thing that you taught me that has been incredible was the journaling piece. Can you give a quick breakdown of the journaling that you recommend uh, to your clients? Sure. So I, you have to get rid of what's in here. So you're going to do a brain dump. You're just going to bullet point whatever's on your mind. And don't be judgmental of yourself because that's not going to serve anybody, especially yourself. So just put it on paper. Tell yourself out loud. I'll deal with it tomorrow. You're giving your brain permission not to problem solve, right? And you put it on paper so your brain knows it doesn't have to hold on to it. And then make sure you write down two or three things that went well for you that day and be specific because you got to give your brain something else to focus on. And I love that so much because of, you know, we, we did a, you know, for all the listeners, uh, a podcast on neuro-linguistic programming with a certified hypnotist and that power of just being able to speak that out, uh, not just keep it in your brain is really important for your body and your brain to really get in line and, and almost demand of it to shut down and get ready for sleep. Um, Tell me, because you had mentioned something before, right, of going out with your friends and initially it just sprung to my mind, well, what do, what does everybody do in their, you know, you know, 18, early twenties, you know, maybe even early thirties, possibly forties, Well, we go out on the weekends, we have drinks and it's not typical of what we probably do Monday through Thursday. How the impact of alcohol on your sleep, even like from the minimum of like one to two beers to just going all out hard on a weekend, what's the impact? So alcohol, this is an important subject. Alcohol, people think, oh, it'll help me sleep. And it may help you fall asleep faster. But what happens is as it metabolizes, it actually disrupts the second half of the night. So you may go to sleep, but then the second half of the night, you're tossing, you're turning, you like can't get comfortable. That's all. That's the effect of alcohol is that it disrupts that second half of the night. And while we're on the topic of substances, I have, I have two questions. One, um, weed, marijuana. 
That's becoming yes. more popular. A lot of people are, you know, in more legal in more states. How does that affect sleep? So understand that the research on it is still young because we didn't do a, a whole lot of research when it was illegal, but now that's become legal. What they found is that, and, and this is going to be controversial because people are going to say, no, that's not true. It is true. Okay. <laughs> From the research that's coming out. And there's new research coming out every day. But what I've read is that, yeah, it might help in the short term, but in the long term, people who use it every night complain more about sleep problems. So it may be that they build up a tolerance. They don't know why. It may be they build up a tolerance, but it's also how the brain reacts, right? You're not, when you're using a substance to help you go to sleep, it, its effects, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. When you're using a substance, you're not dealing with the problem, right? You're just taking this and you're not finding out, well, do you have a sleep disorder? Is that why you have a problem? Do you have a lot of stress in your life and you're not handling that? Is that why you have the problem? You don't know what's keeping you awake. You're just medicating. And so, and then when the medication stops working, then you're still in the same place you were. Got it. And on the, that's fantastic, by the way. Um, and on the topic of those substances, there are supplements that some are common for sleep, one being melatonin itself, uh, but there's a whole host of others. Um, of course, I'm not going to ask you if there's a, a secret formula because uh, everybody is so vastly different. But in terms of supplementation as a whole, do you recommend that you know people experiment with that? I've tried you know magnesium threonate, which can make one dream you know in interesting ways, um, or melatonin. Um, do you recommend people you know? experiment with any of that or should we try to not be in a state where we're you know taking substances that affect or help sleep melatonin was originally put on the market for two things one it was intended for short-term use it was put on the market specifically for jet lag because if you're going to change time zones and then you're going to try to go to bed three hours earlier it's a little bit difficult and it was put on it and put on the market for for jet lag and it was put on the market for like short term use it was one and it was original the original the recommended dose is one to two milligrams if you look on the shelves you have see everything from three milligrams for kids to 10 milligrams and so the american academy of sleep medicine has already said do not give this to your kids except under doctor supervision because they're seeing astronomical amounts of kids coming into the emergency rooms with melatonin overdoses. Um, our brain makes its own melatonin. So, and we make it by being exposed to the dark. So the problem that they're having is because of the stress and the lack of dark. And so they're trying to medicate through it. And what happens is as we take melatonin, our body starts to say, oh, I don't need to make my own melatonin. And then when they go off of it, they're like, but I can't sleep without it. Well, yeah, because your body is used to not having to make their own melatonin. <laughs> You're taking it externally. So it has needs some time. So you get rebound insomnia. Interesting. Um, so 
to take it then a step forward, I'm also really interested in we we plan, we do all of our planning, right? That way we can, you know, we we speak out, we try to get the hamster off the wheel, we get into a really we figure out our sweet spot, we get eight, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep. Now we wake up. What do we need to do? So one of the things that you need to think about is we need sunlight in the morning. When we get that sunlight in the morning, and it's the visual of the sunlight. And sunlight through a window is just not the same thing. When you get that sunlight, you get a surge of serotonin. You get a surge of adenosine. These are hormones that say, I'm awake, alert, I'm ready to go. They slowly go down through the day. And when they hit their low point at night, that gives us our sleep drive. So you want to get that sunshine in the morning. And and you want at least 30 minutes. Best way is to go outside. You can use a sunlight simulating light if you can't get outside. My office has no windows. Yes, I have a curtain, but I don't have an outside window. So I use a sunlight simulating light for the first hour or so, which is why I'm so well lit, (laughs) to help with that creation of it. So that's a 10,000 Lutz light. It's not your average 30 watt bulb. <laughs> and and so we get light and we've we've heard this numerous times as well, but I did not know about the 10,000 LUT lamp as something. So just to be clear though, it's not so much natural light. Like like now it's starting to the sun is starting to pop up, but you know, if you get up at five o'clock in the morning, it's still dark out. Is it natural? It's it's not. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's not about natural light. You have to get a simulation or sunlight specifically. You're better getting sunlight, right? Because you know, natural is always better. If you can't, there are people who can't, right? They have kids to get, like, they have kids to get ready in the morning. They have to get ready for work. They have a commute because people still commute. So they have these things going on that they can't. This is an option for them if they can't, right? The ideal is to get the sunlight because when you're outside getting that sunlight, you're also getting vitamin D, which our bodies need. So that's the first that's the first best route is going outside this is an alternative when you can't but it's not the be all and end all and this is just white light interesting and on that note i mentioned to you in our pre-show that i have a big fan of using light in the mornings as well um i actually use it for myself as like an alarm clock right i i set my you know, automated lights to turn on bright before my alarm even rings. Could you touch on alarms that I found works you know, well for me, but are there certain types of alarms that you found are more effective at waking people up? I know there's apps that can track sleep cycles and claim to wake you up better. Curious your thoughts on that. Okay. So really what it's about is our REM cycle, right? So if our alarm goes off in the middle of our REM cycle, 
we have to remember I said we have hormones that keep us from acting out our dreams. So if an alarm goes off and we're, we're processing the experiences of the day, it is harder to wake up out of REM, right? We have to push all those hormones out of our system. And then we're able to kind of wake up and be awake and be alert. So, so really it's about the timing of your alarm. It's not that one alarm, it's what works for you, but you want it to kind of not hit your REM cycle. So let's say you're waking up every morning and you find like, all I want to do is hit the snooze button over and over again. And you're getting that seven to eight, nine hours of sleep. Or you feel like you're dragging, I compare it to like waking up through wet cement, right? You have to kind of push yourself awake. That means you're waking up in REM. Try changing your wake up time by 15 minutes, either 15 minutes forward or 15 minutes backwards, and try to find that spot where you're out of REM. So that way you're not fighting to wake up. Because then once you wake up and you start moving around, that fatigue, that that signal that says I'm tired goes away. But you it makes just makes it easier if you wake up and you're like, oh, that was a good night's sleep. I feel refreshed. Mm. And is there exercise in the morning everyone's different do you recommend a a light jog a a walk a um that is for other people to decide that is not research that i've looked into um i will say this you don't want to exercise in right before bed because you release hormones when you exercise you release endorphins all of those are going to interfere with your ability to go to sleep and recover. So you want at least three hours between the end of your exercise and the time you go to bed. Just like when you eat, you want at least three hours between the time you stop eating and the time you go to sleep. Got it. And so we've talked about all of the great aspects of sleep. I'd love to, us to jump into the actual compounding effects of not getting that seven to nine hours of sleep? What, what are we seeing in people? What, what, what is the science saying for those that are, are getting you know five hours of sleep or less? It's really six hours of sleep or less. So be aware of that. But what they're finding is that there's a direct link between sleep deprivation and Alzheimer's disease. There's direct links between sleep deprivation and and heart disease. There are direct links between sleep deprivation and diabetes. And they did the research not just on um, on people where they can they they looked at people who got progressively short sleep. They also looked at night shift workers because night shift workers are notoriously sh- short sleepers because we threw their whole circadian rhythm off right we're now having them sleep during the day be awake at night and so they saw a 76 percent increase in the amount of cancers they saw in those so we're talking about the like our body cannot do what it needs to do to keep us healthy if we don't get enough sleep 
but the, the, the little things are also important. Remember how I said we get that deep sleep and that's our, our recovery sleep and that happens the first third of the night? Well, if we don't recover, then we're starting from, we're, we're basically starting as if our inbox is full. Right? We don't, we, our body hasn't done all the work it needs to do to have us start the day refreshed, have our mind be able to focus, have our, our body be able to do work its best. And I'm so glad that you brought up the, the night shift workers. And I believe I heard in there, you said, we're, uh, have you been a night shift worker? And if so, what were some of the, the, the things that you noticed that just didn't, didn't sit well, or that affected you? Oh, I was very miserable as a night shift worker. I am so not a night shift worker. Well, and I also did the thing that you're absolutely not supposed to do, which is flip-flop my schedule because I was raising kids at the time. So I had to be awake during the day um, on my days off because I had so much to do with for the kids. Um, it, you, you walk around in a constant fog is really the only way to describe it. Like your brain never is really sharp and really clear. You always feel tired. There's no way not to feel tired because you have everything else that's going on around you. So thank you for that because I, I think it's really important. I think night shift workers, I've always heard of the detriments of it. Now, with as, as we wind down, can you give our, our listeners tips and tricks? Right? We talked about one, the journaling piece. Uh, what are some other things? And I, I want to blurt it out right now of one thing that you, you told me that has already impacted my sleep. But just like a high bullet level, a bullet points of tips and tricks for impacting your sleep in a really healthy way. So when you look at sleep, sleep is not about what happens in bed, right? It's about everything that leads up to what happens in bed. So you need to make sure you get your sun in the morning. You need to take time during the day to de-stress. I like using two minute breathing breaks because we can all find two minutes to just take two minutes to breathe a couple of times a day. Um, we need to to really find time for us to also recharge right we don't think about this but it's just important as important for us to have a balanced life when we sleep but so we need that time to recharge find little moments of joy like and it doesn't have to be a vacation it doesn't have to be big it can be 10 minutes of I'm on the floor playing with my pug, right? Or it can be, and trust me, about five minutes is all the pug can handle. Or it can be going, taking a walk for five or 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be big, but finding those little moments are going to help us to feel better. And so it's easier to fall asleep. And then having a good bedtime routine with a consistent bedtime and and make that your bedroom that place you want to go to and 
and make your bedtime routine something you enjoy doing. I don't, the journaling, the relaxation exercises shouldn't be like a check off. They should be something that you're like, oh, I get to wind down now. <laughs> nice. And one last mini question, uh, temperature. Are there, I've, you know, I yes. tend to sleep better in cold. Are, are there generalities that, you know, a colder environment is better to fall asleep? Yes. Our body temperature drops when we sleep. We sleep better in cold. They did research, you know, and they said the ideal temperature is 68 degrees. You, you know, but again that's like ideal in an ideal situation i live in florida i'm never getting my house to 68 degrees you know but we get it to like 70 71 we're happy it feels good you want a cooler environment our body needs it because our body temperature drops that's part of how what happens because our metabolism slows down when we sleep so you want your your room to be cooler you want it to be dark. You want it to be quiet. You want, you want like that peaceful, you won't want clutter in your room. And such a great question that glad you brought that up. And how often should someone change out their pillows, switch their bed around? What does that look like? So, our mattresses are supposed to last about 10 years, but one of the things that we are supposed to do is we're supposed to flip them around, right? It used to be we used to turn them. So you rolled them over, you, and then the next time you would flip it around, so the foot was at the head and the head was at the foot. That just makes them last longer. Now we can't flip them over because they're not designed that way anymore. But you wanna turn it so the head's at the foot and the foot's at the head. That way you don't get that same wear on it. So it's going to last longer and it's going to give you more support. Pillows should be changed every six months to a year. Because think about it, you've got 26 pounds of pressure being put on it night after night. You're breathing on it. You're sweating on it. You're shedding on it, right? That cushioning in there is going to break down and it's not going to give you the support you need. Now, is it still going to give you some, some support? Absolutely. But do we want some support or we want good support? And that means that we have to change it out on a regular basis. They are not mattresses. <laughs> they don't last 10 years. So every six months to a year, depending on what kind of pillow you like. Fantastic. Um, you know, I... I think that this has been amazing. You've impacted my sleep and our previous conversations. Um, I, I can't thank you enough, Amy, for being able to just take the time to uh, to spend and share this with our viewers, because I think it's just so important that people prioritize this and actually put effort into it. Uh, Nick, anything that you'd like to add? I would just say you are an incredible source of very succinct, well-spoken information, which is a, a joy for us, um, and I think will be extremely beneficial to our, our listeners as well. Um, I just wanted to say that, you know, if you could go ahead and, and plug yourself or if any of our listeners wanted, you know, perhaps your help or anything, how, how might they go about, you know, finding, finding a way to connect with you? So I have a website. You can go to acorn, with a K, acorncoaching.com. Um, and then they, that way you can sign up and 
do a 15 minute, let's talk about your sleep. Let's give you one really good takeaway from it. So that way you can start moving forward. Um, my blog is also there. So if you want to read some of the, the things I've written over the years, my blog is there so you can read articles I've written. Um, or I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. You can visit me there. So I, I want you to sleep better. I love working with Bruce because I give him some ideas and he implements them. And then he's like, wow, that worked. This is awesome. <laughs> I love that. That is what makes my day, right? Is like getting that. This, this is what it feels like to be re well rested. Fantastic. Um, Amy, I'm looking forward to more highlights uh, in our journey together. But with that being said, uh, thank you for the time. And uh, thank you for being against the herd. And viewers, make sure you stay against the herd.